0: happening Corey wong here with the brand new wong notes podcast we have a sick first season we have current and future legends of the guitar some of my heroes smash that subscribe button hit it baby peace Sounds great, Eric. Hey, everyone, this is Chris Kiesford from Your Guitar. We're hanging out in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm joined by Eric Krasno, who has a long list of uh, accolades and collaborations, obviously, with uh, SoLive and Lettuce, Phil Lesh, Derek Trucks, the Trucks Band, 50 Cent, Emily King. I, I could go on and on, but let's just talk to the man himself, and let's get that going.
1: Eric, how you doing? Well, I'm great, man. Thank you for having me. Uh... I've watched a lot of these, the rig rundown, and I'm a fan of what you guys are doing. Killer! It's always I, I'm a I'm a nerd at heart, so I love learning about how people get their sounds, and and uh, I'm always uh, studying, you know, all these well, different techniques. so well, that'll it's, it's be cool. A, Thank you for having
0: me. Yeah, that'll be a thing we'll get into is kind of how you're not just a guitarist. You, you mean you're you're a producer. You do you do all sorts of things, so anything can influence or impact a decision or an idea that might not be related to guitar or that style of music in the moment, but I'm sure you you have an encyclopedia of knowledge that you, you have up in your brain to use at any point.
1: Yeah, you know, it's we were just discussing this, it's like uh, during this time, you know, with the coronavirus and everything, it's been, you know, of course, horrible for, on so many levels, um, but the silver lining in it for me is I've been able to kind of spend this time honing in and, and, uh, kind of digging various different rabbit holes to, to, uh, <laughs> to dive into, um, whether it be different pedals and, and guitar stuff. And I'm, I'm a big synth guy and, and I'm always messing around with different plugins. And so, uh, it's been nice for me to slow down a little bit and, uh, I'm a gear collector too so sometimes you know you just collect all this stuff but you don't really learn about it so i've been kind of going through all the different things i've collected over the years and and actually uh spending time with a lot of these things and and honing in i think one of the things as a producer that i strive for is making each sound in a recording really make sense and really make a statement Mm -hmm. um so part of that is is learning all this gear and (laughs) And figuring out how to get unique tones um, that that can make a recording stand out, you know.
0: Yeah, it was funny you mentioned. Obviously, everyone's dealing with uh, the pandemic right now, and I want to say, as someone that helps coordinate these rig rundowns, we normally do, is that I want to say yours that was supposed to happen at the Brooklyn Bowl in Nashville was like the right, the right. closest one to happening that actually got canceled because I believe. Right that you were playing the weekend to be the first show of the new Brooklyn Bowl in Nashville. And then everything kind of just stopped. And so it was like the closest one we were going to get was going to actually be you. So I feel good that we're able to resurrect this and make us happen in some shape or form as we're doing it now.
1: Yeah. I was really sad that that weekend didn't happen. And then you and I were corresponding cause I, we, it was pretty much the day before that we found out okay you know what this thing is is really gonna shut down gigs and we're gonna have to everyone's kind of got to go home and hunker down because yeah. i i had done a show the night before that i believe or the thursday two nights before i was supposed to see you and uh in new york and that was kind of the last show that the beacon that uh i did or anyone i know did um but yeah like you said that was that was going to be the um first show at the Brooklyn Bowl in Nashville so we were really excited to kick that off but it looks like we're going to reschedule it and you know we're all hoping that things will start to get back to normal soon you know? yeah
0: and one thing that you I didn't know but I knew it happened but I didn't know if it was because of the virus or it was in the works and it just kind of worked out serendipitously was uh the, your podcast that you've been putting out uh, as of late
1: yeah, you know, that's been exciting. I've been working on the idea of doing a podcast. Um, initially, the idea was to have people here in my studio and we would kind of perform and do an interview. And a couple of them did get done before, like, before the virus hit um, and we got video and stuff. But what I decided to do once I was here and I was home was just start calling people and doing it remotely, which actually worked out well um, for on a lot of fronts. Um, people seem to be really comfortable doing it from their homes or from their studios. Yeah. And I was able to get a lot of my music friends that oftentimes are on the road constantly, you know, like Derek Trucks and Dave Matthews, John Mayer, a lot of players that are really hard to nail down, even though they all wanted, it, they all were interested in doing it, um, were able to do it because um, they were home. Yeah. So it's it's been a, a cool experience. in. in in that time, I've been able to kind of hone in, hone in on it a bit more, which has been good. So I've done a lot of interviews in the last couple of months. We got John Schofield and Marcus King. Um, it's been, uh, it's, and it's been fun for me to really learn from all of these people. Uh, it's not just for everyone else, I, I, I yeah. actually really learn a lot from talking to all of these great great artists, so it's been yeah, fun, I, I could, it's been great.
0: I can relate from being on this
1: side of the microphone,
0: right. which you're now on, you're, You yeah, you actually, you kind of almost use them as a osmosis type of, like obviously you're gonna get the words and the, the phrasing they get out of there, but like almost just being around that person or speaking with them or corresponding, you get that extra uh, absorption of their personality and what they're trying to pass along.
1: Absolutely, and also, you know, when I I've hung out and with these a lot of these artists and met them. But for example, Don Was is is a producer and one of my one of my like heroes, and he spoke to me for like two and a half hours, and I got to ask him all. It's kind of like creates this form where you get to ask all these questions that you wouldn't necessarily ask if you're hanging out at a gig. You know what I mean? Yeah. You get to dig deeper. Like, what was it like working with this guy? How did you meet that guy? And I talked to Questlove for a couple hours about the roots and how he formed the soul Aquarians with D'Angelo and all that stuff. And I'm a big fan of them. And so I'm, I'm a fan and a music lover kind of first and foremost. So uh, I love learning about that stuff from all about all these stories, hearing of these stories and learning about how uh, these different artists have kind of, you know, built their careers and everything.
0: Well, one last thing before we kind of get into what we're supposed to be talking about here is gear. But uh, recently you moved from Brooklyn in New York, where you've been for years and years, to L.A. And was that uh, a financial thing? Was it more of a uh, you wanted to go in the separate coast? Or was it more of like the things that you were doing and the opportunities were more open to being uh, out in L.A. and in California?
1: You know... I always wanted to move to California. It was just something that had been on my mind for a long time. And there was certain I had a studio back in Brooklyn and there was kind of a time period where that was getting taken over and switching hands. And uh, I was visiting out here locks. My brother had moved here and his family. And a lot of my friends are in L.A. too. And also, I just wanted more space. Yeah. And, in a, you know, I'd been living in a, in an apartment for a long time but had a separate studio space. And then being on the road and maintaining the studio, it just it just became a lot. So my I always had in my mind I want to find a house that I can either build a studio or has a studio. So I found a, a house, um, and my landlord who rents me this house, he's a, a film score guy, and he had built this beautiful studio. So when I saw this house, it kind of – um, was like, okay, I think I found <laughs> where I need to be. Um, and, uh, so it's been, it's been wonderful, man. And honestly, during this time with the weather and having outdoor space and having my studio space, um, I'm really happy here. Uh, and I, you know, it's, I there's things I miss about New York, but I travel or, you know, before this virus and yeah. after the virus, um, I travel so much that I get, you know, even when I moved here. Uh, I'm still back in New York a lot, and it's just nice to have a home base here where I have some space. I can have my instruments, yeah, yeah. Uh, around. Um, I find myself playing a lot more guitar because I'm like messing around with different things, and it, it's just nice to have a space. Like I, I'm right now, I'm in my flip flops and my shorts, and that's pretty <laughs> much how I always am now. When I was in New York, that you would never see me like that. So it, it's it's nice. It's nice. You're
0: full on beach bum. <laughs>
1: Basically, basically.
0: <laughs> well, you brought it up. All the guitars behind you. So let's get down to business, yeah. Eric. Uh, yeah, I yeah. think the most appropriate spot to start will be, you know, your your longtime association with Ibanez. You had, I've seen you with the AS100, the GB models, and obviously yeah. you've got a signature model. Finally, we're not finally. Yeah, but yeah. You've had it's it. actually
1: right behind. It's uh, here. I'll grab it.
0: Um. Uh, talk to me about that process of you know playing and being associated with Ibanez, and then finally you know getting the getting a phone call or the proverbial yeah, knock on the you door know, to get it going this, and getting the signature. Well,
1: I met them, the Ibanez people through John Schofield many, many years ago and they, um, offered me like, an, you know, to, to endorse their guitars. And we started talking about doing a signature model it was a really long time ago, you know, 15 years ago or something. Wow. And then, uh, Different people had worked there. I worked I originally, you know, and, and so people changed hands. And Mike Taft was the guy that that really brought it to fruition with me. And he um, we just talked about all the different guitars that I'd loved that were Ibanez, or that I, I had some other guitars where I was like, oh, I love the neck from this, but I wanted the binding from this. And I tried a lot of pickups and it took years for the first one to come out. And this one, this that's this one, the EKM one uh, one hundred. And um, then over a couple of years after that, and it's been out a while now, like seven or eight years. And then we created the next model, which is the EKM 10T, which has the Bigsby because I actually modded this one and added the Bigsby. <laughs> okay. And, like, and then they were like, "Well, why don't we make a model that's a little more affordable?" And we'll put the Bigsby. The Ibanez started making their own Bigsby, so they they uh, made that model, the EKM 10T, which is like more affordable. But you know what was cool it was a great learning experience for me because I got to learn like, cause when we first created the EKM 100, I didn't realize how expensive the guitar was going to have to be. Cause I was like, Oh man, I really want that. I want this. I want that. I want this. And so once we made it, it was, it's a beautiful guitar, but it was a little bit hard for like the normal hobbyist to buy it. So it was important for me to also make another one that uh, was more affordable and more around a thousand dollars or maybe less or whatever. So learning about how to cut certain corners while maintaining the quality was a really cool, uh, learning experience for me. And also just seeing like how they make them and how the whole distribution process. And now I'm working with the, with Mike Origo over there and we're actually working on a couple new ideas for the next evolution, um, of, a model or even a couple, which might be smaller, or lighter. And so we're, nice. uh, it's, it's been fun working with them and they, I love that they get excited about things I get excited about. Like yeah. I said, at my core, I'm a nerd and I, I love learning about all these things. Um, what, so, uh, yeah, it's been, I was going to say, I, was it, was it true
0: that, uh, your, the, the neck on that one is, was influenced or, uh, I guess modeled after a guitar that Derek had given you?
1: Yeah, Derek Trucks gave me, and that one's actually sitting right back there, that three thirty-five back there. Okay. Um, and uh, he gave me that guitar after we had done a session down at his studio, and I I loved it. And he was like, I never he he hadn't been playing it, and uh, he heard me playing it. He's like, Oh man, you sound great on that guitar. Da da da. And it was like a thicker, big big neck, and I'd never been a a guy that gravitated towards the bigger neck like that, but for some reason that guitar really spoke to me. And he was like, you should take that thing. And I was like, no, 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 no. And I I remember I went on the road from there, and when I got back to New York, it was at my place. He had sent it up there. So, and then I just like kind of became obsessed with that guitar. (laughs) And as we started developing the Ibanez model, they, you know, were intrigued by that guitar too, because I was like, man, you know, I want my guitar to feel as good as this, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so that's what we did. And we put, you know, I don't, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but we actually like sent it through these laser machines and the, to, to get the dimensions of that neck, but then to add it to this guitar. And then uh, tweaked this guitar to kind of uh, combine a lot of the different elements that I, that I wanted to be in kind of my ultimate, uh, ultimate guitar. And again, this was, you know, as I was touring with soul live um, and then, uh, you know, in more recently I've also been playing like the silver sky, which is, you know, kind of brings me back to my original Strat yeah. roots. Um, so I'm kind of jumping around, but this is definitely like my go-to for soul live and it's able, it's cool. Cause I can do like the rock and roll thing th- with it, but it also yeah. is like a great jazz guitar. So, well, the, th- uh, th-
0: the thing that I found interesting about it is that, uh, that the George Benson, the Pat Metheny, and the Schofield models all share the same Super Fifty Eight pickups. So yeah. it's, it's, it speaks to the pickups themselves, and and then of course, so you guys as expressive players, how different sounding all those instruments that you guys have with Ibanez sound, you know, unlike each other at different moments. True,
1: true. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: very versatile pickups.
1: For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, you know it's it's cool because Ibanez makes they they're, they're so they're known a lot for their like rock and roll or even metal guitars, but their hollow body guitars and are amazing. You know? Yeah, and they have some history too.
0: Yeah, uh, Eric, what what strings do you normally play? And uh, do they go? Uh, are they do they translate between the the Ibanez and let's say the Silver Sky, or do you change them? Yeah.
1: Up? I, you know, late in the last couple of years, I've been using the D'Addario NYXL strings. Uh, a friend uh, I, in my solo band, my Danny Mayer is the other guitarist in the band, and he and I are always like comparing what we're using and trading pedals and stuff. And he, he hipped me to the NYXLs, and I've been working with D'Addario for the last few years. Um, so, yeah, I've been using the 10s ten, uh, on the silver sky and 11s on my guitar. And then if I'm playing like the, the GB model or some of my other bigger uh, hollow bodies, I'll use 12s and use flat wounds. I use labellas um, wow. for flat wounds, but, and on my bass, I use the labella flat wounds and those, I pretty much don't change yeah. <laughs> for years. <laughs> um, the ten, the, the NYXLs, they last actually a good while, but uh, I don't, I don't, Um, you know, some people change their strings like every day. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll, I'll go a little bit longer than most, um, and clean them and stuff. But, uh, yeah, the NYXL is, I love.
0: Is there anything, uh, besides maybe obviously the tone that flat ones give you, but the string tension or the, the, uh, scale length, is that why you go with the different gauges?
1: Yeah, I mean, with the Silver Sky specifically, the 11s didn't work on it for me. Um, Mm -hmm. The scale length with the 10s just had a sweet spot, and that's one of the things I love about that guitar. It's got this—I had never played. It's got like a seven and a quarter radius, I think, which I had never like paid much attention to what that meant, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Um, to be totally honest. And like those early '60s Strats always had a thing for me when I was playing with Phil Lesh, Ross James, the other guitarist the in the band had got actually Phil had gotten him like a 64 or 63 strat and I remember playing it being like oh my god like this radius feels so cool on this guitar like I wouldn't have done that on a hollow body but something about playing it in that upper register had this singing uh vibe to it and it was partly the radius the scale length and the silver sky nailed it I mean they they really did an incredible job um you know kind of recreating it and building on on that idea uh so anyway i love that guitar for that it's a totally different thing and then with my guitar i have to have at least 11s um I, it's something about yeah the tension of like you know soul live a lot of those melodies have like these beboppy kind of lines and it's I, I need that tension to dig into that stuff and i do a yeah. lot of like double stops and like octave stuff where having that more of that tension uh helps me kind of like dig into it more and kind of nail that rhythmically. I feel like rhythmically having the tension helps me like stay, like stay in the pocket. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but if I want to like rip and like do more bending and, and then like the tens on like a strat or on the silver sky really make a, make a, you know, they sing. Well, so.
0: The one thing that I really appreciate about your playing is, is what you kind of just touched on was, was the melody that you find with on the the phrasing of your guitar runs, but also just the way that you play. It, it reminds me, and I think you've said it yourself was that like Stevie Wonder vocal lines can really be persuasive in how you specifically approach guitar. and and I know that you guys uh, Soul live did that. Uh, I mean, it's rubber soul live, but there's there's other songs that aren't just rubber soul related and I really enjoyed how that was so melodic, even though you obviously aren't singing at all. You can really hear the key parts that carry this those memorable songs.
1: yeah, I've always been a sucker for good melodies and great singers, you know Aretha Franklin, Stevie Wonder being a huge one. and when people ask me who my most like influential musicians are, I always mention singers first, um of course. Ton, there wouldn't I would be would not be playing if it weren't for Jimi Hendrix and Steve Ray Vaughan Jimmy Page and people like that. But as a guitarist and as I developed as a musician, uh, emulating singers has been like my mission <laughs> as Why a guitar is that? player. You know, I, I don't really know. I, I guess like something about the inflection of the voice. I also just think like people can relate to singers because everyone has a voice, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So when you hear a singer and and, and there's no, it's not like, you know, there's, there's no separation between the notes when you're singing, it's just what you're feeling and it connects to your body because you're resonating when you sing, it's resonating your whole body. Um, So something about the power of like a gospel singer um, to me is like the most powerful uh, way to, to, to bring a melody to, to life. Um, so yeah, as a guitarist, if I can sound like Ray Charles or someone like (laughs) that, that's the goal, you know what I mean? Um, that's why guys like Derek trucks or, uh, BB King, you know, I feel like they emulate the voice so well, even John Schofield, even though he can add in so much harmony and so much complexity. Um, those, that's why I really gravitate, to those players, and I'm always impressed by technique. But if you can like bring me in by a beautiful melody, then that that's what I want to keep listening to over and over. Is the vocal
0: kind of aspirations of your playing? Is that kind of where you've incorporated the Bigsby, at least specifically to the to the to the Kresno Cres- model that you have? Because I know that yeah. that can really add some vocal qualities to a guitar.
1: Yes, absolutely. I kind of fell in love with the Bigsby. Um, at one point, in fact, there was, there's an AS 200 that, uh, they were like, well, try this with the Bigsby on it, um, that many, many years ago. And that was when I fell in love with it. And also for doing chordal things, um, I just, yeah, I, I just gravitated towards that. And I also just loved the feel of a Bigsby and, and I, I eventually started getting into the different springs and which ones that, you know, that I, um, could get most expressive with. Uh so yeah I love that. And I I love the tremolo on on a on a Strat or whatever too but something about the Bigsby um really like works for what I want it what I do.
0: It's kind of almost mimicking maybe in a way mechanically m- maybe not so much but like a pedal steel almost a yeah. pedal steel a- has that real vocal yeah. nature.
1: Yeah, I've always wanted to play pedal steel. I'm not I'm not great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's maybe if the quarantine ever happens again, which I don't want it to, yeah. but if it ever happens again, maybe that'll be my project. Oh geez. But, yeah.
0: That'll be hopeful. Hopefully that'll be a long one. Not in that case, Hopefully. but man, <laughs> <laughs> just to give me I a should time. not be
1: even, I should not be speaking those words, but yeah. yeah, that, that would be a project, uh, that I would love to delve into. I'm also, you know, wanting to learn slide better. You know, it's like, it's hard when you've got people like, Derek trucks well, truly tr- really yeah. mastered it, but, uh, and I do it a lot actually on recordings and even with Phil, Phil and friends, if I'm trying to f- fill out, um, that, that sound, you know, cause there was pedal steel on some of those old recordings, I'll play some, some slide, but I'm by no means a master not even close, <laughs> but, it, but it's fun. I loved, I love using the slide on recordings and, and I, I will do that quite a bit. I
0: mean, it's a texture. It might not be a thing that you're going to, you know, be known like Derek, obviously, but it's right. a texture that can use, you, you can use to color in spots
1: for sure. For sure.
0: Well, the one thing I, I another thing that I, I I appreciate about you versus a lot of guitarists that we'll talk to is that you're looking and even if you're not specifically saying it, Eric is, you're looking to push the instrument forward through like your like the work that you've done solo-wise. I really appreciate how you're combining electronic music, whether it's through synth loops or the collaborations you had with Grammatic. Uh, like, how do you do that and balance still like your roots of being a rock guy? You said you know you got Hendrix and Page flowing through your veins, but you you know that there's more modern music out there, and why not have like a symbiotic relationship with the guitar? Uh,
1: Yeah, you know, to speak to the first part of that question, I think that's a work in progress of how to incorporate it together, and I think that's like kind of been a really important piece to me as an artist and you know my attempt to evolve as an artist is trying to tastefully combine all the things that i love because i have a pretty wide range of tastes in music so like i grew up listening to led zeppelin and hendrix but also loved the beastie boys and run dmc and started making beats at a pretty young age um and learning about programming i've always had gear and been obsessed with gear uh, I've always been recording and producing music since before I even knew what that was <laughs> whether it was a four four track tape machine that evolved into Pro Tools and and I always had a drum machine and weird I always was trying to collect synths and things like that so I've always been into that um, when Soul Live started I had a long period of time where those worlds were separate for me. I was like producing music and making hip hop music. And soul live was just a whole different thing. And then as I started to create like a solo career and making my own albums, I started creeping in more and more of like what I was doing with other people already, I was already producing and I'd produced records with a lot of different hip hop artists, Talib Kweli and 50 Cent and worked on a lot of records in different worlds, Modest Yahoo and done reggae and pop music. So um, with my last album, which is called Telescope, I put that out under a name Kraz because Mm -hmm. I kind of created the whole animation world. It's really like an art piece that I made music for. And that one I really went deep uh, with with a co-producer, Jeremy Most, doing the electronic and programming stuff. And then on my new record I'm making now, I'm really finding an, a really cool balance of where it's really more about the guitar and and the songwriting, but I'm kind of, that's the backbone, but I'm enhancing it with all of these different production techniques and things where it still sounds organic and like there's a band playing, but uh, uh, I'm finding a nice balance between those. So I, again, it's all a kind of an evolution um, and I'm finding ways to, Blend these things together, because it's it's not easy in certain cases to do that tastefully. Yeah. And you don't. I don't want to be the guy that like has like a crazy dance beat coming in over like. <laughs> but you know, but it, you know, I'm not against it. But I think um, in for my own records, I don't want to like hit you over the head with it. I want it to be something that you notice if you pay attention to it. But I want the song and the the melody to be. F- first and foremost Um, but I and I also as far as collaborating with people uh, like Grammatic and Grizz and a lot of these electronic musicians it's been really cool learning experience for me to see how they work Mm -hmm. Um, and these guys are so deep into their sound design and into their Ableton and I've worked with Pretty Lights quite a bit and that guy is a genius when it comes to that stuff I've watched you know Skrillex put his sets together and, and it's for me, uh, anyone making music on that level, it's like there's something to learn from the process. Yeah. So, you know yeah. what I mean? And I've, I for me, I've like even when Soul I first started and we started working with engineers and producers, I always always had my eyes on what they were doing and trying to absorb all of that. And uh, I try never to lose that. You know, I, I, whenever I'm working with an artist or a producer, an engineer, I'm trying to learn what I can, you know, from them. And the same thing with Derek Trucks as a band leader, you know, when I was in his band playing bass for a while, you Mm -hmm. know, I learned so much working with him, working with Kofi Burbridge and I work with O'Teal Burbridge too. So, you know, anybody, Schofield as well. um, All of this, the chance to work with any of those guys, no matter the genre, um, when they're at the top of their game like that, I feel like there's just a lot to learn, a lot to absorb.
0: There's something to gain. I I love, the juxtaposition even just the first two songs waiting on for your love or uh, waiting on your love and the next song which that song kind of reminds me of like black rock that album that black keys did with all the hip-hop artists. oh yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: and then and the next song jisabelle is like just a straight-up stomper it,
1: yeah, yeah 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 that was a you know that's from the blood from a stone album yeah that album was really fun to make it was my first time really singing lead um, vocals and I'd been writing songs with a lot of people. So, um, it was, it took, it, it was interesting just coming out front and learning where my voice works and doesn't <laughs> and yeah. fits. And, uh, so, but yeah, I loved making that record. I made that in a barn with a, bu- with a bunch of my friends basically. And we originally intended on those songs being demos that they'd eventually record in a studio, but we loved what we got. Um, we used like a eight track tape machine. And I ended up dumping it to Pro Tools to mix it and to overdub. But um, it was a cool project because there was no pressure when we went in there. We were just kind of vibing out and writing songs, and that became an album. So that was really cool. And then since then, I've really worked. When I made that record, I kind of thought, oh, I'll sing a couple songs, and then I'll have other singers and whatever. And then the guy who I was working with, Dave Gutter, who was helping me write the song, said, man, no, you you just have to sing this. You're going to be the artist, da-da-da. So um, once I kind of owned that, you know, we toured behind that record for a couple of years. So now I'm way more confident and way more comfortable doing that. Yeah. Um, and being the front guy, being the singer and being the band leader. So I, I feel like that album was a really cool experimentation. And then now I'm like, OK, I'm way more confident um, and uh, at, at a place where I can like come into an album with a little bit more. Um, I you know it's all it's every album is like a step you know in the in the evolution so I I feel I feel like that record and that tour um, has was like re- built a foundation for me to actually like be an artist myself and not just a, a band member you know
0: during during the recording of that record up in Maine did you have an amp in a garage next to a, next to a motorcycle. <laughs>
1: Yes. You, yeah. You heard that story. Yeah. 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 I, I, in fact, I have that amp in the other room. It's a 69 Vibrolux and we just had it dimed like just <laughs> cause, and we had it, uh, in a, yeah, this, the path of that garage was like a motorcycle shop. So yeah, it was like under an old motorcycle. And uh, yeah, that session was so cool. Shout out to Ryan Zoidis, who is the sax player in Lettuce. And he was the guy that was like, hey, man, you know, because they had this this uh, barn space that they had some recording gear, but it wasn't really equipped to make a record, you know. So we were like we started. He knows everybody in Portland, Maine and Dave Gutter were the two guys. And we went around and found a tape machine and got all the mics and cables and I had my amp with me but it was funny because we kind of got the whole town involved like every you bring a mic over and you bring <laughs> these cables and you bring that it was supposed to be like a writing session and as we got into it like man the vibe is great let's just make this the record and next thing you know like he like he'd like Jimmy from down the way he'd be like, oh I found this preamp it's and then we'd plug that in you know it was like uh, it was just a really fun process. And I think you can hear that in the music. It's like, there we're, we're not like looking at a clock and you know, we're, we're not like sitting between two ferns, like paying yeah. like thousands of dollars an hour. Um, we're like, just we were like, you know, sleeping on couches and just making music cause we loved it. And you know, those are, I feel like those moments are sometimes when the best creativity happens, you know,
0: it's like a, a Amish community raising a barn in that regard. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
1: uh, I like think some, one guy brings the bread, the other guy brings a preamp, you know, it's like,
0: <laughs> so what are some other notable instruments that are behind you that we should know about or that you t- are, have been really enjoy using lately?
1: Um, well, I have my 73 P bass back there, which I've played on so, I mean, so many records. I've never changed the strings on that. Wow. I've had it, I've had it, have had it for almost 20 years. Um, I was a bass player first, actually. I have my first bass over there. It's a Fender Jazz Mexican Fender Jazz bass that I actually flipped out the pickups and have done some tweaked it out. But um, that's like my first, one of my first instruments. I have a a '61 uh, Gibson uh, EB2 bass. Oh, wow. That has the felt stop in it and it was the bass that was the guy the champs, the bass player from the champs. Da-dun, 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 tequila. Yeah. It was it was his bass. Um, wow. And yeah, it's pretty funny because I got it at a pawn shop in Florida and I was looking for that exact bass and I was like, Oh my god, they have one. And uh the uh, I looked I looked up the champs and I, I saw that he had that type of base but that there was a flower power sticker at the bottom uh-huh. and I was like I don't know if that's the base and then as I got closer you can see the outline of the sticker and the staining of the uh, base so anyway that's a pretty cool pretty cool story that's I have right. uh, uh, the obviously the fifth the 335 that Derek gave me I have a an early prototype of one of Derek's SGs that he gave me that I used quite a bit. And I've tweaked that out, and I added a Bigsby to that. I have uh, the first Ibanez back there that I had. That was a that's a, a GB twenty or no GB one hundred that uh, George Benson signed for me when we toured with him. So that's one of my one yeah, of my prized that's possessions. A baby. Um, what else do I got? I have a bunch of cool Ibanezes. I have this AZ model that's really really cool.
0: Um, I feel like you should have a gem model. I feel like just because you're part of the a- yeah. Ibanez family, Well, I have
1: the AZ is kind of my like the closest <laughs> to that that I'm willing to go. <laughs> 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 but it's awesome, man! Like those guitars play amazing. You know, it's more like the aesthetic isn't my vibe. No, yeah. no shade. No shade. Cause Steve I is the man. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, it's just not. You know, I'm more of a vintage looking guy. But uh, man, those guitars play so well and all the like pickup it's funny because I'm like thinking about bringing that to a dead gig because like it has all this cool switching that you can get these Jerry tones out of it you know uh, they might look at me a little <laughs> weird in the audience but um yeah that that guitar is badass um yeah I have the and then you know I have the the Silver Sky which I've been playing quite a bit I have some Supro guitars uh, oh yeah, my rock bridge acoustic. I don't know if you've ever played a rock bridge uh, acoustic. Brian Calhoun, man, those guitars are amazing. It's my favorite acoustic guitar. Uh,
0: what body shape is it? Is it like a dreadnought or like a parlor?
1: It's not quite a parlor. It's I think it's a double O. I'm okay. so bad. I'm really bad with uh, acoustic models. <laughs> But it's a smaller one because I love parlor style guitar. It's not a parlor style, but it's a a smaller smaller. body. Um, I think it's a double O. But that Rockbridge, man, those guys make beautiful acoustic guitars. Just amazing. Um, And then, you know, I have a couple of the I have kind of like the timeline of my prototypes that became my signature model. We kind of lined up around, so I've got like the the first one they sent me, and then a couple a year later, you know, because it was a a process to get to the final thing.
0: Well, what was like the, maybe the biggest thing that you changed, or or the evolution of the instrument that you could maybe pinpoint? Not, not necessarily that took it that long, but what were some, you know, starting from the first one to the one that maybe I would go get at a store? what, what What's the biggest difference?
1: You know, it was little things. It was the tuning, the tuning pegs and the pick the pickups. we changed it was funny because we kind of started one place and then came all the way back. We tried a bunch of different pickups. Um, some of the um some of the like binding and the nut and like I, I, things that I didn't understand. Uh, how much they would change the tone and the feel Um, so yeah it was and and a lot of it was me (laughs) I should have been taking notes the entire time luckily I think they were obviously but uh (laughs) I was just, I was more like going, meh yes. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, you know? <laughs> so, but I think I know a little bit more now that process, uh, helped me cause like I said, I am, I am a nerd, but when it comes to like guitar building, I am not the, the most knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, like I said, it, it was a, it was a learning process and I'm still learning about it. Um, but yeah, I, I can, you know, the, the di- trying a lot of different pickups too. That was, that was a learning process to figure out if I want Like we ended up going with really hot pickups, which, which I like, but we tried a lot of different things.
0: What do you like about hot pickups? Cause a lot of times maybe in the style of music, I know that you play everything, but style of music that maybe most people are familiar with, you would assume maybe PFA style PAF style pickups, lower output. So what, what kind of geared you towards the higher outputs?
1: You know, maybe it was because I like the way it pushes the amp, you know, Um, and I like, you know, I one of the things actually that I learned from playing with Derek too is use. I like that using the volume knob to change kind of my gain structure. um, And I like being able to have it, you know, when it when it's hot, it's hot and I can actually adjust it a little bit and get a lot of different tones just from my guitar plugged straight into an amp. Uh, So I like I I like that aspect of it that like I can get like three kind of different sounds just by adjusting my volume and having the amp kind of hot. And then you're using the amp to rather than an overdrive pedal. So I I, I like that aspect of it. Um, Yeah, I I don't know. I've always I've always I've always liked like a really sharp sound, you know, and I like to I like to go between the two. So you'll hear like when Soul Live when I hit like the bridge pickup and I'll crank it. You'll hear something that sounds more like Stevie Ray Vaughan. And then uh, the next, the next song I might be like playing octaves on the neck pickup with my volume down. And it sounds more like Grant green. Yeah. Um, I think it's partly my um, schizophrenia as a guitar <laughs> player. <laughs> cause, cause it's like, I love hearing like Albert King style guitar, but I'm also a fan of Benson and, and uh, Grant Green and all that stuff. So like, you know, it, it was because during, the, especially during that time I was making that guitar, I was on tour with Soul Live and we were going between those different things. We were making like psychedelic rock music and then we'd go straight from that into like um, playing like some like soul jazz it sounded like from the from the 60s so i think the ability to do both those things with one guitar was the goal yeah
0: Yeah. cool well the one thing i i'm glad that you're here safe and sound in la is that a lot of the times of of videos i've seen of you doing uh, in brooklyn were with amps or without amps really and so now we can talk about and hopefully hear some amps that you're actually digging and actually can plug yeah. into in your home and studio. Whereas yeah, before yeah. it was had to be That's very been, quiet.
1: Yeah. You know, there was honestly so long where, um, and it's still, it still happens where I'm doing fly dates, where it's, it's rental gear, you know? So here I have all of my amps. And yeah, when I was, uh, in my Brooklyn apartment, it was, I couldn't have any of them in there. (laughs) Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, having, having this studio and being able to, to actually plug my amps in, it's been great, man. But I also have been using this universal audio aux unit, which, which is so cool. So I have like, for example, right here, I've got a a Supro Statesman head, which is kind of like always right next to me. And then I have the aux on top of that. And uh, and so I have that going, you know, modeling because the ox models all different speakers and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I do have speakers in the other room here in a another room. But what happens is if I'm flipping through sounds quickly, the ox is so cool because you're eliminating so much different, so many different things. The cable, the that has to go in that room, the mic that has to go in that room, the speaker, yeah. and then all the different cabling that's happening between these different things. And then the mic, and then the preamp. So, um, and it sounds so good that, uh, it, it's been, it's just been so great. Cause it's like, there's so many, your problems that can happen between all of those different cables and, and, uh, inputs. So what I'll do is I'll bring my different amps in here and Try them out through the uh, through the aux, and then occasionally I'll still put a speaker in the other room and mic it that way. But um, I have a, a boogie Mesa Boogie Fillmore amp I've been using a lot lately. The little guy. I have a, a sixty five Super that is my go to gigging amp when I'm when I'm bringing in my own amp. Did that get a so, shot
0: from Derek? Because I know Derek's a big yeah. Super
1: fan. Yeah, I got one of those from him too. <laughs> Actually, George Alessandro brought that. Um, brought a couple amps when we were playing the beacon theater and that one like sang. Cause there would be times where I would play guitar as well. And that night I think I played guitar and I played through that amp and I was like, man, this thing is magic. And uh, originally I think Derek was going to, was going to take it. And then he said, no, you should take it. And uh, yeah, that's been my favorite amp uh, ever since so I that 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 thing also on and sometimes and I mean that sounds so good through the speakers But if I'm in this room, I'll just run the the speaker out into the ox too and it sounds killer
0: That's a handy tool to have
1: Yeah, for sure
0: and what I know that you before had I know that you mentioned the boogies uh, I know that you had the jazz chorus for a while way back when live. Oh yeah, way
1: back, yeah. And then and then <laughs>
0: you had the you kind of went to Fender combos for a bit, and then you ended up it kind of getting to the Supro family. I remember you had yeah was it like a
1: Jupiter, and the Tremoverb. Yep. yep, I've used yeah I've used those a bunch. I'm always moving around when it comes to amps but uh and partly that is because I'm always in different si- like you know backline situations and stuff yeah. but I've also toured with a lot I toured with a with a lone one of the early Mesa Lone Stars I had like a 112 Lone Star I still have that it's a killer amp um so I've I used that for a while I love I I mean if it's a vintage super is is going to be my go to if that's if that's possible if I you know and especially if I have my own What do you look uh, for in an
0: amp or like even if it's just bare bones in terms of like fly and date. But like what what do you kind of what do you need from an amp?
1: You know, I want there to be this is such a broad statement, but it's got to (laughs) have a vibe Um, like I've got to be able to (laughs) plug. I've got to, you know, ideally and I always bring my little fly board and some in certain cases I'll rely on what I can get out of my my board. Um, but ideally, I mean a great super and you put that on like seven. And like I said, then you can kind of can, you can use no pedals and be very happy. Um, and I'll know within a millisecond if an amp's going to be great. If I'm going to have a great night, (laughs) I'll plug in put it on seven, turn it on. And if it has that, that sing, then, um, and, and I wish I could say more technically what creates the sing that I'm yeah. talking about. But, um, you know, I, I want... And, and it's also, like, with a super... It also depends how large of a venue that I'm playing. But uh, a super can usually do the trick. Um, But I also like this... This, this Fillmore 50 has a great vibe. I've been backlining those for, like... Uh, for, for gigs, too. Because I like that you can um, adjust the wattage. So that, that guitar, that amps versatile for different rooms. Cause there's mm-hmm. also like, if you're playing with certain people that don't want that you cranked with so live, you know, ha- I know that we're going to be loud so uh, that I can use a bigger, uh, and I can turn up. So, uh, yeah, I just like there to be, to there to be a vibe, you know, I'm a big reverb guy, so there's gotta be spring reverb. Um, and yeah, you know, that's, that's basically it. I also like simple. Um, I don't like a lot of, <laughs> a lot of knobs to navigate. Well, the
0: Fillmore so, 50s got a lot. I mean, for- it does have a lot, <laughs> but
1: actually, but for, for Mesa's in general, it's pretty simple. I'll give you um, that. It's just cause it, cause it has basically a whole set of knobs for one channel whole set for the other. But like the, the Supro I'm using here, the the statesman the left channel the channel one is the thunderbolt channel and it's literally volume tone
0: yeah
1: <laughs> And that's it and that i get a twin. great yeah yeah it's i get a great great sound out of that um and uh so i i uh, that one that side does not have reverb so i'll have to add reverb somewhere if i'm gonna use that but uh uh that's a killer amp it's, I, that's been just great in my studio uh been just getting killer killer tones out of that
0: killer and well at this point i think it's time to talk us about some pedals and i know that you've mentioned you got the fly rig you got i'm sure all sorts of stuff in your studio but uh i think before we started filming you you let us know that you kind of compiled maybe what you've been using or would use so let's go from there and tell me about what's kind of yeah Um,
1: so you know i've got like the classic crybaby um the mxr uh super badass Variac Fuzz. I love that pedal. Can, Eric, um,
0: could we have you play some and just so Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I dude, I love how you pair that Variac Fuzz with a phaser pedal. That's like one of my yeah, favorite.
1: So, and right now I'm using this pedal. It's called a God vibe. Have you ever heard of this? Never. There's a <laughs> guy it's, in Japan. A great there's, name. A guy, there's a guy in Japan that makes this pedal and I think this is what he's fi- he finds old Univibe's original Univibe pedals and is able to take the insides and scrunch them into this smaller pedal and I you know I'll I'll post a pic- I'll send a picture of that uh-huh. too. but um so yeah I have got my Crybaby. <laughs> And then, uh, that's the mini one. Is, yeah, no, that's that, 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 that... That's actually like the the basic, you know, crybaby. Okay. And then I've got my super the super badass variac. fuzz. <laughs> Love that pedal. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, that thing. I, there's, it has, uh, you know, the variac, which you know changes the voltage on it, and that seems mm-hmm. to really that makes for some really cool tones. And then this one's the Supro Drive pedal.
0: Have you, have you ever messed with their uh, fuzz pedal? I know they have a fuzz pedal too. Yeah, yeah,
1: I have that one too. I dig that one too.
0: Yeah, that one's gnarly. Yeah, it's gnarly.
1: I'm kind of always switching things around, so it's really just based on like the day.
0: <laughs> I'm like, OK, today I've got
1: this one in there. Um, yeah, I know that you,
0: you have so many gigs and so many different shows that you'll play with so many different artists, but is there a pedal that, you, that goes between all the gigs and all the bands?
1: Yeah, I would say the King of Tone pedal, it was just by Analog Man, which actually randomly is not in this board right now, but I pretty much always take that one with me. So, like, even, you know, also if I'm, like, sitting in with a band or Mm -hmm. something, like, I'll just have that in my gig bag. So, yeah, I love that one because it gives me, like, a few options. It has a clean boost or, or not even clean, just, like, a boost and then an overdrive. And I just like love, you know, even just having it on with not a ton of drive just gives like a certain warmth to the to, to my tone. So uh, like Eric, that.
0: what's going on in the beginning of uh, torture? I love the kind of the chaos. Yeah, man. You that- know, I
1: think that is I can't remember what I used, but I know that that's that Vibrilux amp just dimed. And I yeah. think I probably had some sort of fuzz pedal. I wish I could remember. I might've had like this old fuzz face, but, uh, yeah, I remember I dug that, the tone on that, on that, on that song for sure. Do you have the, your,
0: uh, TR2 on your board? I know you're a big fan of tremolo.
1: Yeah, I've got that right here. I I don't, you know, that one, it's just, I've tried so many different tremolo pedals. That one just does what I want it to do. It's just like some, some boss stuff. It's just tried and true, you know? Yeah. So I've got that on there right now. Um, in fact, that with the fuzz combo is really yeah i love I love that sound.
0: yeah, it gives like the fuzz a little bit of movement, which is always which is always yeah. kind of. Fun.
1: And then I have like this true spring. Um, it's made, this is a source audio spring pedal, which is really cool. True spring. Yeah. yeah. So i use that a lot and then i have a i use the h9 pedal a lot tied for delays because i love the expression the way you can um adjust the parameters for what the expression does so i can have the feedback going crazy but the mix moving at a uh, at, at a slower speed um and then i right now i have a the ecolution pigtronics pedal that actually dave coltai and i went in and kind of programmed some similar sounds to what i had going on with the h9 because i was wanting to use the H9 for like the Leslie sound at the same time. So right here I've got the Echolution um, with the expression pedal, which I'm not sure if I have it set right right now, but so I can have it freaking out and then I can pull it back, you know?
0: Is that the Echolution then?
1: One's the Echolution. And then I have the expression, you know, that's with the expression all the way back and then his word all the way forward. <laughs> Which is fun because it's like, you know, if you, especially with like Grateful Dead music, we're doing these long improv kind of weaving sections. I'll use that expression pedal to kind of like accentuate certain licks. But you know, it's it's just fun to, I love having a delay with an expression so you can pull it back and it's just like kind of a slap back. And then as I'm like getting into some more lines. You know, so you can use it, that expression to Create all this movement, you know. Yeah,
0: I know that one thing that I really uh, see and hear in your playing, especially in the Cinematics EP that you guys put out, was uh, you pair really rich delay and reverb together, and that gives it that kind of what you're going at is that that space sound. But you're still obviously playing over it. I love how you paired that the reverb and delay. Yeah, I I
1: I love like creating that space, you know, especially when you've got like a pocket drummer, you know, holding down this groove that everyone can move to, then like creating these different soundscapes over that. I feel it's a it's a nice juxtaposition, you know. Taylor, what else you got on the board? Um, I also, I mean, I have my basic boss tuner. <laughs> and I have that God vibe pedal, but for some reason it was plugged into a weird outlet and making sounds, but it's it's a Univibe. Um, and then, and then I have an Infinity Looper that I kind of use a lot. Actually, this guy from Mobile, Alabama, um, made this. It's a it's a Klon clone clone, <laughs> which is like a killer killer sound. Um, I have the H nine pedal, and then uh, this Rototron like Pigtronics pedal, which uh, I use a lot in the studio. I'll use it on vocals. I'll use it on all different things. And then I have my my flyboard which is pretty much all M- MXR mini pedals um <laughs> i love their they make killer mini pedals man like they yeah. have the min- mini carbon copy uh the mini phase 95 the um the classic 108 fuzz which is awesome uh the sugar drive And then I have the Trellicopter, which is made by Moore, uh, which is just like a tiny little. These, I mean, it's just for my flyboard. You know, I want to have it all like in that. Man, that's that's a lot of. It all fits. Yeah, it fits (laughs) in this tiny little. You know, it's right here. Um, it's all that's all right here, (laughs) and then I have a Holy Grail. That's a lot of sounds. Yeah, I mean, to fit in here, and then I put this in a tiny little, you know, um, tick, Even that little tiny mono case. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I'll fly with my bigger board, too, but it's nice to be able to... If I, especially if I'm taking two guitars, because there's been recently where I've been taking this guitar and my Ibanez. So I'm taking both of those and this. It's. I mean, you know, then it's just easier to go with this rather than the big board. Yeah. Um, and then I have... Uh, this little guy, which is always, people always laugh at me for having this tiny little wah pedal, but I, I love <laughs> it. I, it took me a minute to w- figure out where to put my foot on it, <laughs> but, uh, but it sounds killer. I mean, it's pretty much the same sound. It's just getting used to the, the, uh, the action, you know, of it.
0: One thing that's, uh, I would like to ask is, is as yourself, as being a producer and, and work with so many artists, Do you think you're a harder producer on yourself than you are with other artists? And how is that like to produce and be like that on yourself?
1: Yeah, I think I probably am. You know, it's funny because I um, have an easier time producing other people. (laughs) You know, like when I do my own stuff, I actually like to have a co-producer because it's hard, especially if I'm doing a lot of the instruments myself. Uh, it's like, kind of like you get too inside the painting and you need help with perspective and, and getting, a um, a look at it from further away.
0: You got to see the forest,
1: so, not the trees. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I find it harder. I do find it hard to produce myself, you know, recently in this, in the quarantine, I've been forcing myself to do so, but I've also been collaborating with, um, actually this guy named Otis McDonald, who's incredible. He plays every instrument and. He plays drums great. He's been playing drums on my stuff and adding keys. And it's just, you know, um, nice to collaborate with people. I feel like music is a collaborative affair. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's I I, I like the fact that I can sit in the studio and layer all my stuff. But I I, I need someone else's input before I completely finish it. Usually, Um, although in the last few months I have been seeing things all the way through just myself, but I'll at least send it someone to maybe'll we'll be like, oh yeah, they'll like they'll like on a mix thing or I'll send send tracks to people to help me um, even just to get their input. But yes, I would say I am hard on myself uh, producing myself and in certain cases will will take I'll put my albums as like the last thing to work on, you know? <laughs> cuz like I'll work on everyone else's stuff. It's funny cuz I, I on my board where I have a chalkboard and I have all these different projects that I'm producing that have either are a long-term project or in certain cases gotten put on hold because of how things are um right now and uh but over the last few weeks, my section has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger <laughs> of what to do, which is good. That means I'm working on my album. And I, and I think that's one of the things in uh, quarantine is like, now I'm actually focused on making my next album and have a ton of songs. Um, it's just now a lot of them are in demo mode. So now it's like, the thing is, like, you know, I don't schedule sessions to make my record. I yeah. just do it. So it's like, but that also enables me to be like, oh, well, maybe I'll go work on the garden or, like, clean the clean the house or, you know, do this, that, and the other. Um, whereas when I'm producing other people, there's a schedule, there's a date, you know, uh, And especially since I'm independent now. You know, I used to – there used to be a label guy knocking at my door, calling my phone. Now it's a uh, – there's no re- – I try to set deadlines for myself, but <laughs> – so, so anyway, I'm trying to create my a, a regimen and a, and a schedule for myself to finish my record. But yes, you're right that when I'm producing someone else, I, I tend to uh, crack the whip a little bit and be like, OK, we have to finish this. We have to do this. We have to do that with myself. I'm not uh, it's I'm hard on myself in terms of uh, making it great, but I'm not uh, hard on terms of getting it done. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and, and while what you're, telling, you know, you're talking about how you, you learn from all the people you've been with and collaborated with and played alongside, is, is since we have you, I, I think it'd be good and I understand that you know, your advice and what people can get from this is not a one-size-fits-all type of methodology, but w- what, what can you provide for guitar players that, from a producer's standpoint that would be good, some good advice?
1: You know, I would say it's it's really hard nowadays to form your own sound because so many things have been done and so many artists are out there.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: I find that that you have to trust your taste and your instinct because that is what's going to create a sound that's unique to you. Um, but don't at but also you know don't be afraid to learn from the people that you love and that you're influenced by, um, and don't be afraid to play other people's solos and learn other people's, uh, learn other people's techniques, but always put yourself in it. Um, don't be afraid, um, to be different. I mean, it sounds corny, but I think now, especially, uh, I want to hear something new. I want to hear someone incorporating uh, all different, whether it's a combination of different genres that will create a new thing. Um, But don't be, you know, I think uh, there's been years and years where record labels want to hear the same thing again and they want, okay, this, this was a hit for this person. Let's do that again. Let's do that again. Let's do that again. But I think now that that's breaking wide open, you're seeing... Um, some great artistry happen, uh, because it's not regulated by anyone. And so we're, I I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, we're in an age now where it's not like necessarily getting radio play or having this like perfect hit song that is going to propel you as an artist. It's being unique. So I think, um, It's, 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 everyone has their own version of that. So there's no way for me to tell anyone how to do it. But I think trusting your instinct as an artist and don't try to do things you, that other people want to hear, do what you want to hear and push yourself to make the best version of that, you know?
0: And and, and then kind of snowballing on that, where do you see guitar going? You know, not only just this year, you know, with the quarantine, but just beyond in music.
1: You know that's a really good question. I don't know that I have an answer for that and I but I know that like a Where few do you years want to take it then? Where do you want to take guitar? Well, that's a really good question, man. You know, my my favorite version of great guitar playing is um hearing a something unique but B something that is going to want me to come back to it over and over and over. And that's like great melodies you know, and like soulful, tasteful playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I do think that's been done quite a bit. And then so they're it, making it new is hard and it's hard to put into words. It's like things that pop in every once in a while, you know, and Jimi Hendrix was the perfect example of um, virtuosic playing with great taste and also the ability. Uh, Ability to push the instrument forward Mm -hmm. And uh, I I would Say that like 10 years Ago I was getting worried about the guitar Because I I felt like So much uh, In pop music Was moving away from Instruments you know But that being said Technology as much as it's Brought all these other types of music It's also brought the ability For people to learn No matter where they are You know, you have kids from random parts of the world picking up a guitar, watching YouTube, and being able to learn on the same playing field as anyone else. So, um, and there's a lot of young kids that are great players, man. Like Brandon, Taz, uh, Niederauer, uh, Quinn Sullivan. These are all kids that I've seen grow up and I've played with and I gave lessons to Taz when he was young and um, there's so many, Inspired young players right now—that it's got me r- really excited. Actually, um, where I think there was a time where I was worried <laughs> about the future <laughs> of of the instrument, whereas now I think actually people want to play more, and I'm—I have hopes that the silver lining in this quarantine is that um, they we come out the other side with with more artists and more people like diving into their craft. And, and I think we're going to come out of this with, A, like artists we already love making their best work or mm-hmm. maybe artists emerging that maybe never would have, you know?
0: Yeah. And, and if, if you can divulge your information, obviously there's some reasons that you probably can have to withhold some. But what about you specifically? What are you going to be working on the rest of the 2020?
1: Oh, man, I've got a bunch of projects that I'm working on. I have my own album. I'm working with an artist named Sun Little on a project, which I love. If you guys haven't heard Sun Little, he's an amazing uh, singer, songwriter, player. Um, I'm working on some stuff with Ziggy Marley oh, cool. uh, that hopefully will see the light of day. Um, and I'm a huge fan of his, so that's, that's really cool. Working with a, a, uh, an artist named Cat Wright that I'm producing – uh, another guy named James the Eighth, amazing guitarist and singer. Um, so there's there's a lot of stuff cooking right now. That Any podcast. Uh, oh yeah, obviously the podcast has been a huge a huge thing for me lately, and something i've been I've been diving into. So I'm excited to see where that goes. In season two, we're still we're in season one now. Season two, I'm hoping to incorpor- incorporate more live performance where uh, the artists can come to my studio, we can perform together, talk about their process. So um, yeah, there's a lot of interesting interesting stuff happening. I actually have a song coming out um, on June 19th as part of uh, an organization called Song Aid where Carlos Santana actually submitted a, a song and uh, Tom Morello and a bunch of really great artists are, are involved in that. So, uh, yeah, I did, I did a Dylan tune called the man in me, which I really dig, uh, the version that we made. It was myself and this guy, Otis McDonald, and he's been working with me on the rest of my album as well. So yeah, again, a lot of, a lot of cool stuff on the horizon, but I really look forward to getting out and playing some gigs again. (laughs) I love being, I love being in here, but being with people is, is important.
0: You were telling me before we started rolling that you think this might be the longest you haven't played any live shows or been on the road for 20, 20 plus years?
1: Yeah, I haven't I haven't been home this much in I would say 20 years. <laughs> it's kind of wow. crazy. But, you know, I've To be honest, like a year in the last year or two, I've been saying like, man, I really would like to spend some time at home and spend some time in my studio. Of course, I didn't expect it to be without other people here. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. But, you know, again, like I wouldn't have wished this situation on us or anyone, but um, my takeaway, my positive takeaway is that, uh, I'm learning a lot more about my craft and working on my craft and I'm, I'm making an album that I'm really excited about. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of these things that I wouldn't have done otherwise are, are coming to fruition. So I'm thankful for that. <laughs> well, real quick, while I have
0: you just maybe think, where do you, where's the evolution of Eric Krasno, the, the. Solo musician going from the record because of the Kraz record in 2019.
1: Yeah. So where um,
0: where do you can you if you could tell us you know what, what, what's yeah what you're I'm really the
1: record? Uh, I'm really excited about this. Um, I think when I found uh, Otis McDonald who I who I'm collaborating, I had a bunch of songs written and I was happy about, but I was like, okay, how am I gonna translate this, especially in quarantine? So I actually created a couple by myself where I played drums and I played everything and then I sent one song to Otis and he played drums on it and started adding some keyboards and stuff and we went back and forth and I was it was I felt like we hit we nailed it you know what i mean i yeah. was like oh, okay okay this is this is where this next record needs to go and that was that track the man and me which is coming out on june 19th of course that was a dylan cover whereas everything else in the record is original songs so now we've been starting to go through all the other songs um he just has like such a killer groove on the drums and kind of incorporates a little bit i mean it has a little bit more of like that organic funk new orleans feel but it also has like a, a modern production to it and i i think i'm really honing my songwriting skills and able to tell a story i mean in the last year i've gotten married and i have a, a baby on the way so there's definitely that tone in the songwriting uh and i, I all the songs i've written for this record are my favorite yet um, but I was kind of holding them in place until I really knew how I wanted the production to sound, and I think that uh, we've we've kind of figured it out now. So now it's just about diving in and and getting all the songs uh, recorded and produced. But yeah, I'd say there's you know there's way more guitar on this one not that there's not guitar on my other records but yeah. I think on my last record it was a little bit more like about the songs and the production and this one like you know I've gotten really into um harmonizing my guitars solos so I'm creating like horn part type of things with guitar on this one which kind of was something I fell on by mistake and you'll hear it in that song the man and me like that I just played a solo on it right and and I'm, I'm the type of guy that always wants to create memorable melodies if I can in my solos. Right. And this particular one, I was like, Oh, maybe I should go back over it. And so I, I played it just improvise. And then I went back over it and harmonized various parts of that and then put a third part on. And that's become something now that I'm doing on like every song somewhere. <laughs> it's not like Almond Brothers the entire time, but, but there's, Definitely Almond Brothers, uh, Brothers' influence there, um, but the songwriting being coming from a different place. There's, there's like some Jeff Beck group vibes in there. Um, so I think what I'm doing, I'm finding a way to take the roots of the guitar stuff that I love and really mix that in. And I would say that ingredient is a little bit towards more towards the front than my last okay. album. Like the guitar stuff. I'm also really happy with the tones I'm getting. Because the thing is, when I made my last record, I was living in that apartment and I I didn't have the options that I have here. Yeah. So I've been diving. Like my guitar tones on this album are the best I've ever gotten, in my opinion. That's awesome. Um, and I also think vocally, I'm way stronger <laughs> on this album too. And uh, so I think that, that this, that, that, and I'm having some other singers on it too, mostly doing backgrounds and stuff. But I'll probably feature, uh, have features on a couple songs too.
0: Cool. And well, this one I know, I don't know if this one was, was intentional or if it was like a journalist, we have to label things. with the last one was kind of, uh, seen as a concept album, uh, from, yeah. Okay, will this be the kind of, uh, vision for the next one or more of a standard? Record. i
1: think i think it won't be like concept album the way the last one was but i think there will be a theme to it you know and i think and i'm happy that um now that i we have a couple songs done that i'm really focused on making it uh a very cohesive album sonically, but I don't like the last album was all about characters and storyline. Yeah. Whereas this one won't necessarily have a storyline throughout, but you'll, the songs all have a certain, uh, theme and vibe, but yeah, it's more, it's, it's more just an album. It's not, a, gotcha. not a concept album. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well, Eric, uh, myself and the rest of the PG family, neither do I thank you for hanging out with us, you know, out there in LA where you could be out in the having, having fun in the sun. But, uh, yeah. I don't want to gloss over the fact that you mentioned that you, you know, have a baby on the way and that you recently got married. So congratulations on both thank those you. fronts and thank uh, you, man. again, man, I thank you so much. And I appreciate what you're doing. And, uh, thanks for the podcast. Cause I know a lot of our staff's tuning in. So, uh, Godspeed That's and great. Sending good vibes out to you and your family and hoping, hoping we see everyone on the road real soon.
1: Yeah. Thank you. And I'm a big fan, big fan of yours and everything that you guys do. So I appreciate you having me on and again the the podcast if people want to check out it's called eric krasno plus one and you can find it on pretty much all of your podcast listening uh stations spotify apple Podcasts, all that stuff
0: awesome eric again thank you so much everyone out on youtube and internets thank you so much this is chris keys for from your guitar thanks chris thank you